Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the show, friends and neighbors. Thanks for tuning in. We have two developments that we'd like to tell you about that occurred outside of the studio, only one of which is tangentially related to today's episode. Uh, First is that it is my trusty co-host, Noel Brown's birthday today. Oh, I'm sorry. I was running in place. Uh, Birthday resolution with my new Adidas uh, track shoes. Right, yeah. Oh, that. Uh, so, happy birthday, Noel. Uh, I'm Ben. Uh, let's say hello to our super producer, Casey Pegram. And the second development, which is, I guess, at best tangentially related to today's episode, is that for the first time in years, I bought a pair of tennis shoes. You sure did. And Ben, thank you for the birthday wishes. I was the endorphins were flowing through me mm-hmm. so much, I, I didn't even respond uh, uh, politely, and I do apologize. Let's talk about your shoes. Yours are uh, tigers, though, right? Right, right. Lions and tigers and bears. And pumas and Adidas. Adidas. Yeah. Yes, yes. That is the tangential relationship today. So one of the most well-known popular tennis shoe brands is Nike today, right? Very true. Very, very true. Just do it. But uh, other brands are still in the international sphere and very, very well-known like Adidas and Pumas. That's right. And um, I don't know, we can just spoil this part of the story in advance. Nike kind of blew up as a result of Adidas and Pumas kind of being distracted with sort of the topic of today's episode mm-hmm. and not really paying attention to this uh, impending shoe mageddon that Nike brought on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, well, like, have you ever owned a pair of Adidas or a, a Puma shoe? I have an Adidas hoodie that I'm quite mm-hmm. fond of. Um, uh, and I think I've owned a Puma, a pair of Puma shoes. Don't think I've ever owned any Adidas shoes. Mm-hmm. But fan of the hoodies. I think I've only owned a tracksuit from Adidas. It was a different life. I could never, I could not picture you in a tracksuit. <laughs> it was, uh, it was for a show. It was unrelated. Okay, for okay. A show. that's fair. But I haven't owned the shoes either, which is 
you know, not super unusual for us because neither of us are especially sneakerheads, as they're called. Uh-huh. But uh, but they are very, very popular shoes, and they have a very strange story behind them. I guess to start off today, we should go ahead and just be upfront about the pronunciation of the name of this town. Should we have a pronunciation off? And then we can check Forvo and see who was closest. So you're using Forvo, right? Yes, that's right. Okay. That's right. Uh, is that your go-to pronunciation uh, guide of choice? It is because it's crowdsourced and it's mm-hmm. usually from natives, so I, I mm-hmm. find it to be pretty reliable. And if there, if the word isn't there, then I just you know roll the dice. But <laughs> this one, in fact, was there. So let's. How about we spell it first so everyone knows where we're coming from? It's H E R Z O G E N A U R A C H. So uh, let's see. Would that be Herzogina? Herzogina? Why do you give it a shot? Well, Ben, I may have told you that uh, in a past life I was once a young German boy. That's true. I would yeah. defer to your pronunciation yeah. here. So I'm going to give it a go with the help of Forvo, and then I'll check check myself. Herzogenaurach. 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 Mm. Got close. It's close. Got I think close. I overpronounced the gen, the gen. So they're more like Herzogenaurach. Yeah. The GN kind of like just the blurs together. Elides, yeah. Right. So, you know, this is a, well, let's call it, what do we say, Ben? Herzo? Herzo. That's what the locals yeah. call it. That's what For those in the know call it. It's going to be easier. So Herzo, it has a storied sneaker past. Yes, yes. Our story begins with the Dossler brothers. Rudolph and Adolf, but Rudy and Adi to their friends. That's right. And to us. And to us for the purposes of this. Uh, So Adi is the younger brother. He's a cobbler. He's an inventor. He's a a bit of an entrepreneur. His favorite thing in the world is to sit at his workbench and tinker. And he starts uh, making shoes. So I I thought a shoemaker was a cobbler. Is mm-hmm. it, what's a tinkerer? Is a tinker is a thing too. There's tinker, tailor, soldier, spy. Mm-hmm. You know that movie. What's a yeah. tinker? So uh, you could tinker with things, but the old profession is someone who travels from place to place mending things like pots and pans. That's right. So he is a tinker and a cobbler. I would say he's a tinkerer. Yeah. So he's a tinkering cobbler, mm-hmm. and he's cobbling at his tinker bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what does he make, Ben? There's a little bit of more of a story here, too. This sure. was— uh, after World War One, things were pretty dire in Germany, um, Bavaria, where uh, Herzog is located, and his the, the 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 brother's mother had had a laundry business right. that was no longer operational, and so that's where Adi set up his shop. Uh, he was 18 years old when he returned from World War One in 1918, and Herzog is in northern Bavaria. Oddly enough, too. Shoemaking was the biggest industry in the area at the time, so it was a natural fit for him to go into this empty laundry shed and begin making shoes. Right. There's a great, great article that we're going to pull some good stuff from from Vice Sports uh, by Brian Blickenstaff that sort of mentions the idea that even in those kind of salad days uh, post-World War One, when folks were returning back home and things were kind of a little bit... Um, getting by by hook or by crook, you, you might not have to buy the nicest clothes, but you had to have functional shoes. Right. You got you got to have shoes. And there's there's an excellent article 
depicting his experience making his first pair of shoes over on Today I Found Out. Folks, you may notice we're avoiding giving you the headlines of these articles right now. That's because we don't want to spoil things straight from the gate. So he makes his first shoes for just for his friends, but these shoes that he creates are made out of leather scraps salvaged from helmets and wartime uniforms and other gear. Yeah, these are like Mad Max shoes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good description. Mm-hmm. And turns out people really liked Adi's shoes. His reputation spread far beyond Herzo, and pretty soon he had one of the best problems you can have when you start your own business. He had more work than he could handle. Yeah, I think it took him about three years to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when he enlisted the help of his brother, Rudy, who uh, was a little bit more of a business-minded kind of guy, mm-hmm. a bit of a brash kind of salesman mm-hmm. type dude. And he really needed that because Adi was sort of the brains behind the product. Mm-hmm. And Rudy came in and became, you know, the power behind the throne, the kind of guy that pushed the product out into the marketplace a bit. Yeah, 1923, Rudy joins. And we must emphasize just how different these two guys are. Uh, Adi sounds to me like an introvert, and Rudy definitely seems like the extrovert. And this this worked. In the beginning, this was a fantastic partnership. I mean, they had already grown up together, so they knew what to expect, and they worked pretty well mm. in the early days. Yeah. Uh, And in 1924, things were going well enough that they said, you know what? Let's make it official, bro. Let's start a company. Yeah, they're called the Dossler Bros or Gebruder Dossler. Mm-hmm. The Dossler Brothers Shoe Company. And they continue growing. So I believe it's in 1926 they say, okay, this laundry shed operation isn't cutting it. We need an actual factory. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, we should also mention before we get too far into the story, after World War I, Rudy had decided he wanted to become a policeman. And he actually, he trained for it. Like a Gestapo-type policeman? Interesting that you would mention that part. That is going to come into play later because, yes, this is Germany in the mid-1920s at this time. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. So where where should we go next? We're, we're still in Herzo, right? We are. And That's where we're going to mainly stay there. Yeah, yeah. Toward the end, we might expand a little. But, yes, this is a Herzo story through and through. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what these shoes look like and how they differ from modern shoes? Yeah, I think we really should. There is a really cool blog post on a a site called Design Boom called History of Adidas, Adi Dossler's First Track and Field Shoes, and it goes through a chronology of these designs uh, between the 20s and the 30s. The very first shoe called the Model Weitzer from 1928 was a sprint shoe, and it was actually worn at the Olympic Games in Amsterdam of that year. And it looks almost like a rudimentary kind of very stark ballet shoe mixed with like a bowling shoe, mm-hmm. but it's very very steeply angled from the heel to like where the ball of the foot might be and then it flattens out and then has these cleats these uh six, six very pronounced sharp spikes, yeah. pronounced almost like crocodile teeth looking cleats mm-hmm. um and this was kind of um a revolutionary design because according to this blog it was the first shoe to use a screw system in athletics, which were six handmade spikes mm-hmm. that were cut and uh, pressed through these holes that were punched in the outsole of the shoe and then were screwed in 
um, using a steel disc that attaches from the outsole, the outside of the shoe. Mm -hmm. And there were some positives here in that it gave runners traction that they had lacked in the past, but it also, they were a little bit heavy because there were a lot of weighty metal parts. Right. And they were not manufacturing the actual spikes themselves. They did have help from a blacksmith operation. Mm -hmm. But the, the rest of it, sourcing the material and assembling it, that's, that's all Dossler. And it's true. This stuff is revolutionary. People are loving it. We do need to mention that Adolf Hitler and the Nazi Party come to power in, what, around 33, 1933? Mm -hmm. And when this happens, both of the Dossler brothers do join the Nazi party. That's true. Um, they have been described, to their credit, I guess, as not being the most uh, adamant Nazis, I guess. They were sort of low-key Nazis. Yeah, they were They were not, um, I guess they were fair-weather Nazis. Yeah. It seemed like uh, they were just doing it because they were fitting in, maybe? Yeah. Which is yeah. a huge problem. It's a you. huge problem with the whole Nazi plague in general. It's like, yeah. I was just following orders. I was just trying to fit in. Sure. That's not a discussion for today's episode. <laughs> but all the while, they, they're blending into the background um, while making these shoes, and it kind of comes to a head when one of their designs gets worn by a very famous African-American uh, sprinter by the name of James Cleveland Owens, a.k.a. Jesse Owens, who wore these shoes in a very specific sporting event that we have talked about in episodes past. Yes, we are referring to the 1936 Summer Olympics, which were held in Berlin. Uh, if you've checked out our earlier episode, then you notice that Jesse Owens is a returning guest to our show. Jesse Owens was a track and field star and... Given that the Dossler brothers were already benefiting from the Nazi party's use of sports as a propaganda tool, they saw the Summer Olympics as an opportunity to go into the international sphere and get recognition outside of Herzl and outside of Germany. So they pushed and pushed to get Dossler shoes on Jesse Owens. All they really seemed to care about in the Olympics, in fact, was getting Jesse Owens to wear these shoes. He did wear Dossler shoes, and he won four gold medals, which, again, if you look at the way these shoes are constructed, is crazy because you're not supposed to use your heel. You're just supposed to, like, dig in and run on your toes. And the plan worked. Owens' four medals gave the company huge amounts of international attention, and athletes from all across Europe started making their way to this village, Herzo, which is pretty tiny, whenever they passed through Germany, saying, I got to get a pair of one of those Dossler Brothers shoes. Yeah, and from that uh, original design we talked about from 1928, this one was much improved because it actually left out the metal plate, um, and it had very small eyelets where the uh, and thin laces, which helped to reduce the weight of the shoe, which was really important for, mm -hmm. you know, sprinting. 
Absolutely. And in fact, instead of, uh, they had to get really creative with materials because instead of using that metal plate, they used something called vegetable tanned bottom leather or vash leather, Mm -hmm. um, and that significantly reduced the weight. So really forward-thinking design work going into these shoes that continued to carry on specifically with uh, with Adi. Yeah. I Look, again, as we're going to see, neither of these guys are perfect, but all these innovations in the world of footwear are Audis. I want to highlight that because I feel like that's very important that Audi was the brains of the operation. Well, the, at this point, their success is bringing them to a more money, more problems sort of situation. Their relationship is becoming strained. And as the company is succeeding, Germany is inching closer to war and the brothers are experiencing a failure in their relationship, one that a a huge animosity that extends to their wives, their children, their parents, their other siblings, Mm -hmm. because they did have other siblings. Yeah, and weirdly, both families lived together in the same villa, Mm -hmm. which seemed less than ideal, considering that every source uh, we've looked into has their wives just fighting like cats and dogs between each other. They were not peacemakers. Not at all, and I'm sure that tension carried over into the brother's relationship when you're trying to defend your wife in some sort of spat and take take their side. It probably soured uh, relations between the brothers. And let's not forget mom's in the picture too. Yeah. That's right. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. 
$45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So in 1940, Adi gets the call. He is asked to serve in the German military, and he does for about three months, but somehow he is able to get an exemption. And you'll hear different historians speculate that this could have been due to Rudy's effort to maybe back in Herzl, he was pulling some strings to get his brother out to go back to the shoe business. And we'll probably never know for sure whether he was able to get that exemption due to Rudy, but we do know that whatever happened, it did not alleviate the tension between the families as as the war kicked into full swing the tensions between the families got worse and worse until they hit a tipping point yeah this is one of the most divisive bits of the story um there, there are various accounts of this but it is something that comes up repeatedly so supposedly in 1943 when there was an allied uh, air raid on um herzo the Brothers and their families found themselves sharing a bomb shelter. Um, and supposedly, Adolf made a comment that Rudy was never able to shake because he interpreted it as being a direct insult to his family. So, as the story goes, Adolf, in hearing the sound of the approaching um, RAF forces, Royal Air Force, British planes, said something to the effect of there come those pig dogs again or here come those bastards again. Or the again. dirty bastards the are dirty back bastards again. The dirty bastards are back again, yeah. exactly. To which Rudy uh, heard that as an insult lobbed at he and his family as they got into the shelter. And this was either a misunderstanding or a grudge that both brothers would carry throughout their lives and refuse to reconcile. Later that year, this is 1943, Rudy himself gets called up for military service. And at this point, he suspects that Adi had schemed to get him sent to the front to edge him out of the business. And he serves from 1943 to 1945. In 1945, Rudy deserts his post in Poland. He flees just ahead of the oncoming Russian army, and he goes back to Herzo. He hurriedly gets a friend of his who is a doctor to declare him unfit for military service due to a frozen foot, but then... Despite, I'm sorry, frozen foot? Yeah, frozen foot. Is that like a twisted ankle kind of? It's You know what? He was in a hurry. <laughs> Is that like bone spurs? Yeah, it's just something to make you unable to walk. I see. And so this doesn't pass muster with the Gestapo. They arrest Rudy Dossler for desertion, and he blames that on Adi too. But here's the thing. We don't know whether Adolf Dossler got his brother purposely sent into military service, but we do have pretty compelling circumstantial reports that both Adi and his wife snitched on him. Yeah, I, I, see, I see reference in several places, um, one of which is in a Fortune magazine article called The Hatred and Bitterness Behind Two of the World's Most Popular Brands by Omar Akhtar mm -hmm. to a, an American investigative report um, that was found. And that's in Fortune, right? Yes, that's in Fortune. And so 
he's arrested first for deserting his post by the Gestapo. And then when he's released by the Gestapo, he's arrested by the allies on suspicion of working for the Gestapo. Mm, and that American investigative report that you mentioned, Noel, does give truth to his claims. And while he was languishing, wasting away in a POW camp, uh, Adolf Dossler is very hard at work. He is rebuilding the business, and he is making a killing, selling shoes, selling quote-unquote Jesse Owens shoes to American soldiers who all know about the legendary Summer Olympics and all want to have the shoes. And it feels to me, this is just speculating, but tell me me if you think this is true, Ben, that this is a really early example of this kind of endorsement culture in sporting goods and and wear and any kind of apparel, right? I I really do feel like this is kind of the model setter for that whole thing. And this is something that the company would continue to lean heavily into and— it would become another sore spot between the brothers as time went on. Absolutely. We should also point out, I couldn't find anything about Jesse Owens getting any percentage of sales. So I, I think that was a, I think that was a rough spot for him because he could have made millions. Well, it was a different time, right? Yeah. I mean, it was like a cutting-edge stuff. They were almost like, yeah, just give me the shoes so I can perform better because mm. other companies weren't making anything that was quite up to this level of uh, innovation, right? Right. So these guys at first, their personalities complemented one another. Uh, Then their relationships became strained. Uh, Now they hate each other. They loathe and abhor one another. And they can barely stand each other's presence, which is weird because they still both live in the same very, very small town. And we see this hate in the historical record. So Rudy is not taking this on the chin or turning the other cheek. He retaliates against his brother in 1946 when Adolf Dossler is hauled before the Denazification Committee. Mm -hmm. And he could be classified as something called a belesteter or a profiteer, which means if he is proven to have made a lot of profit, or having broken financial laws during wartime, he could have lost control of the entire company of Dossler Brothers. Mm -hmm. And that meant, at least in Rudy's mind, that he could be appointed to run the company. He could maybe even cut out his brother entirely, which is brutal when you consider Rudy didn't make the shoes. This This is very strange. So he tried to paint Adolf Dossler in a terrible light, trying to get control of the company, but they still lived under the same roof. Yeah. So he was sort of like pointing the finger right at his right at himself. Um, and ultimately, the Allies determined that neither of the Dossler brothers were problematic enough Nazis to really mess with. They had bigger Nazi fish to fry. Yeah, yeah. And the American occupation forces actually had seized their villa. So all these, this, these two families that hate each other are living in... Uh, makeshift accommodations in the shoe factory. Mm -hmm. So this is funny. In 1948, they officially split the company up Mm -hmm. and moved to opposite sides of the river that bisects this tiny little hamlet in uh, in Bavaria. The River Auroch, yeah. And Adi names his company Adidas, Adidas, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, Which is a portmanteau. Toe. Oh, uh, we were on dangerous ground there. <laughs> of his first and last names. And Rudy 
tries to do something similar, and at first he calls his company Ruda. Now, to me, this is a big signpost of how uncreative and uh, kind of like yeah. rip-off-y Rudy kind of was, mm-hmm. that he immediately had to be like, oh, you're going to make a portmanteau for your company name? Well, I'm going to do the same thing, you know? <laughs> and Because Adidas is clever, and mm-hmm. it's a good idea. And, he and it sounds good. It sounds good. But, you know, he did see the light, and whether he was counseled by some s- smart young buck in marketing, mm-hmm. he changed the name to the the now much more ubiquitous Puma, which mm-hmm. couldn't imagine it being Ruda. That sounds, that's hard. That's not even fun to say. It sounds like uh, years ago I did an episode for Car Stuff on Cars Behind the Iron Curtain. I remember that. I was the producer of that show. You were the the producer of that. Uh That's true. uh Yeah. uh Wow. We go way back. But the (laughs) the thing is, Ruda sounds like a kind of Iron Curtain car. It also sounds like the the prefix for like rudimentary, Mm. which makes me think like they're kind of like crappy shoes. Yeah, it just sounds very plain, you know. Puma, on the other hand, I picture a powerful, you know, prowling beast Mm -hmm. with speed and precision and agility. Something that leaps and pounces, Mm -hmm. right? So, yes, correct decision on Rudy's part to uh, shed that name Ruda and go for something a little bit better. And here's something interesting. We mentioned earlier that Herzo is in an area of Germany that was known for shoemaking historically. It was one of the primary industries of the area. It's no surprise that shoe factories would take off here, but eventually most of the town, if not all of the town, ends up working for one of these two factories. These guys still hate each other, by the way. Oh, with a venomous passion. (laughs) And that, that passion extends, this, to me, this was one of the weirdest parts. It extends to the employees. Oh, man, no, it, it, it was, they, they created this whole Hatfield and McCoy's kind of atmosphere in this little town um, that was literally divided by that river we talked about. I mean, there were restaurants, bars, uh, grocery stores specifically designed to just be for employees of one company or the other. They were, I mean, I, I can't imagine it would have been codified in any kind of real way, but there was this unspoken idea that they, never the twain shall meet. There shall be no coupling between Puma and Adidas employees. Including, yeah, romantic pursuits. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's yeah, exactly. Right? And, and certainly marriage would have been uh, hashtag verboten. Verboten, yeah. And there's, there's an interesting split in terms of the internal workforce as well. So when the Dossler brothers split the company up, the employees essentially had to choose. They could go to Adidas or they could go to Puma. Most of the technical people, like the actual cobblers, stayed with Adidas. Most of the sales force and the admin folks went with Puma. And it showed pretty quickly. And man, making it uh, an even deeper, bitterer family affair, even the mom had to pick sides. Yeah. Yeah. Who, but who did she choose? I think she went with the elder. Isn't that crazy? Rudy, which is so crazy because Adi was the idea man. He was the Willy Wonka of this whole operation. He started it in her abandoned laundry. How could she forsake her her young son like that, her bright young boy? (laughs) Yeah, I think clearly we have chosen our horse in this race. We don't want to be too biased, but we do want to be transparent about that. Yeah, Rudy seems like the worst. I'm on Team Adi all the way. Uh, What about you, Casey? 
I got to side with uh, Run DMC and Corn. I'm going Adidas. <laughs> it has been adjudicated. Casey on the case. I love that segment. <laughs> Have you seen that shirt design that's floating around on the Facebook yes, group? Yes. Man, no spoilers, guys, but uh, it's happening, and I think it's going to have some French on it. Check it out. Uh, go to Ridiculous Historians, our community page, where you can see some A-plus memes as well. So let's let's pause for a second before, before we get into even more opprobrium. There is an interesting story about how they make, how they decide the iconic shoes, right? Because clearly the Adidas or the Pumas you buy today do not look like the shoes that Jesse Owens wore. Oh, no. Like I said, I mean, you see on this amazing design blog, mm -hmm. Design Boom, um, just the evolution of these shoes. And even as far as it goes, no, it's cool. You actually, when you start, when it becomes Adidas, because this, this, uh, this site is particularly devoted to Adi's designs. So right. they've obviously chosen sides as well. You start to see more of a fashion trend kind of coming into play. The spikes um, are less pronounced. The spikes are less pronounced. There's more color. There's more color. They have that, like even, uh, in like 64, um, you have this, the designs that use that kind of more, um, suede, the blue suede look, mm -hmm. and then they've got the little kind of stripes along the side, much more traditional. Then you start seeing those like iconic like gold colored ones. It's called the Azteca gold model. Mm -hmm. um, and that's as far as this blog goes. But yeah, so it took like into the 60s for, for them to really start getting that iconic look that mm -hmm. we know today from Adidas. Yeah. And so we do have the story behind that iconic three stripe arrangement on Adidas. So they had those strips before in earlier versions of the shoe, but they weren't really noticeable. They were the same color. Like you said, it's mm -hmm. before the gold, mm -hmm. before the blue and the white. So Adi decided that the strips should be painted some other color to make them look like stripes and that this would be the Adidas trademark. And so he made sample shoes, some with two, some with three, some with four, or even as many as six stripes apiece. And then he asked his wife and his sister-in-law to pick which ones they liked best. They ended up saying that four stripes is too many. It felt too busy. And so on their advice, he went with the three-stripe design. Over at Puma, by the way, just to be fair, Rudy had uh, a couple of different depictions. He thought of maybe having a puma jumping through a capital D, but eventually he just settled on the company's signature uh, horizontal stripe, which they call a form stripe. Man, Ben, you have just really uh, expanded my sneaker head. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Well, Actual okay. sneaker right. heads who are listening to this. Yeah. Uh, hopefully you find this of interest. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. But really, if you are a sneaker head, I, I cannot, I know I'm, I'm harping on it, but I cannot uh, recommend highly enough this uh, Design Boom blog because each shoe has very specific information about like some of the design features. Yeah. And there are some very specific kind of jargony terms that I was unaware of that folks that are into that world might be a little more hip too. So I, I recommend checking that out. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. 
With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We should also mention, I think we talked about this a little bit off air, the entire time this story is taking place, like since 48, they are suing the pants off each other, right? Or trying to? I mean, pretty much just a nonstop torrent of lawsuits. Um, and I don't know if you were able to find anything specific, Ben, or any specific um, uh, documentation, but I would conjecture, I would hazard a guess, that a lot of it was around uh, Rudy possibly nicking some of these designs from his clearly more sneaker-headed brother, Adi. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And as this stuff is happening, Adidas and Puma are both growing as companies. The town is getting further and further and further divided. It becomes known as, did you see this nickname? 
No. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, the Bent Necks? Yes, the town of Bent Necks. Because according to the story, if you were walking around town and you saw someone you didn't know, you would look at their shoes before you decided whether to talk to them. If you were a Puma person and they wore Pumas, you're in. Yeah, that is just crazy how it's such a specific industry in such a small town to be divided so and have such a very uh, interesting way of identifying. And easy, right? You could just look at the other person's yeah. shoes and say, I know what team you're on, buddy. Here's how deep it went. This is something I found. I only found this in one place. So I, I hope it's true, but I, I couldn't confirm it yet. Apparently, each side had their own tombstone carvers. Yeah. That, that will come into play a little bit later. <laughs> yeah. I did find an article on um, a a blog called Duet's Blog that deals with the intersection of creativity and the law. And it talks about how a lot of the lawsuits between Puma and Adidas were, in fact, uh, 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 quibbling over that three-stripe design ah. that you mentioned earlier and yeah. went into. Um, apparently, uh, Puma, in a burst of creativity, made it a four-stripe design um, <laughs> to just, you know, one one stripe better in the mind of uh, in the mind of Rudy. Not to mention the fact that we, we, we talked about earlier how there was this um, focus on getting these athletes to endorse these products, right? right? And that continued and became a game of one-upsmanship between Adi and Rudy as their respective companies kind of started to gain steam on their own. And this continued on um, throughout the years when Adi actually turned down the idea of sponsoring this uh, young up-and-coming tennis player by the name of Boris Becker. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was a big deal in the in the 80s and in the 90s. Um, and so just to, just to, as a, you know, act of pure one-upsmanship, Rudy signed him, not because he thought he was awesome or he saw any promise in him. <laughs> he just wanted to piss <laughs> off his brother. Right. Um, and this is from a fantastic article in The Telegraph called Adidas and Puma Bury the Hatchet After 60 Years of Brothers Feud. What? Bury the Hatchet, Ben? What does that mean? Uh, it means that the brothers died. <laughs> That's what it means. That is what that means. <laughs> um, and remember that uh, that tombstone carver you were talking about? Right. Well, those respective tombstone carvers carved those respective tombstones on polar opposite sides of the town. Yes, that's correct. Rudy Dossler, the elder of the Dossler brothers, died on October 27th, 1974 of lung cancer. He was 76. Uh, the priest called his little brother, Adolf, to his side, and they did not squash the beef, as far as we know. Adolf himself expired four years later. He was 78. Ben, I, I want to correct myself here. I think I said earlier that there were separate cemeteries on the opposite side of the town. That seems to be not quite right. They just made sure that in the town cemetery they were as far away from one uh, another as possible. Symbolically, as to the Telegraph writes, symbolically representing their unending hatred. So they did it on purpose. Can you imagine that deathbed conversation, man? Yeah, and I, I, I cannot. No, I, I cannot. And I cannot imagine. Uh, I mean, the, the circumstances were pretty insane. You're talking about a lot of money, mm-hmm. a lot of uh, intellectual property, um, a, a, a weird power dynamic, weird familial relations, not to mention being in the heart of one of the most brutal conflicts in the history of the world, if not the most right. brutal conflict in the history of the world. So, you know, lots lots of factors at play here. But um, I did uh, read in that Vice article mm-hmm. that the brothers purportedly never spoke to each other again, but then there are hints that maybe they did 
here and there mm -hmm. from time to time throughout their lives, but it certainly never uh, smoothed things over. But there's a really good quote from a book called Sneaker Wars, the enemy brothers who founded Adidas and Pumas and the family feud that forever changed the business of sports uh, by Barbara Smith. And it is a quote from Rudolf Dossler uh, much later in his life. Um, and he says this, the relation to my brother was ideal from 1924 till 1933. Then his young wife tried to interfere in business matters, although she, with her 16 years, had no experience at all, and the warfare began. Wow. So it was probably a situation where he said, I hate your wife. Yeah, like a Yoko Beatles kind of situation. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the, the needle in the conflict haystack here. We do know that the feud carried on to later generations, and the brothers had notoriously bad relationships with their children as well. I was reading a pretty interesting article in The Guardian that talked about this, uh, Adidas versus Puma, the bitter rivalry that runs and runs. And in this, they explore the problems that the brothers had, almost universally relating to family members. So Adi always fought with his son and heir, a guy named Horst Dossler, and eventually banished him to France. Banished him? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, he banished him to work on a shoe factory that was failing, losing a ton of money. He turned it into a moneymaker. Then he built a thing called Adidas France that rivaled the rest of Adidas, uh, but it wasn't good enough for his dad. And Rudy, over at Puma had a son named Armin Dossler. That was his oldest son and heir. He routinely made fun of him in front of other company executives. Uh, and he was going crazy because he saw his cousin Horst succeeding at Adidas. So Armin finally exiled himself to Salzburg to run a Puma factory there. And then he started selling shoes on the U.S. market, which his father had forbidden him to do. And when Rudy died in 1974, his oldest son was startled to learn he had been written out of the will. That's cold. Good grief, man. Yeah. Well, after all this bad blood and bitter familial feuding, surely there's a silver lining here somewhere, right, Ben? It's somewhere in the end zone of this story. Yeah, on the on the pitch. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, lay it on me, bro. Well, the the two companies do still exist in that same tiny town of twenty five thousand um, Herzo. I'm not going to even try to pronounce it again because I don't have it in front of me. Um, but in two thousand nine, uh, the companies kind of put their differences aside, and then this 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 really brutal history of one upsmanship aside, and stepped out to play a friendly soccer game, or as the Europeans call it, a football. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was to support the Peace One Day organization, um, which chose September 21st of 2009 uh, as the first, I believe, of an annual day of nonviolence. So, um, mm -hmm. but then this article in The Telegraph ends with the very knowing little kicker line, quote, but despite the friendly handshakes, those who know the townspeople say it will take more than one game of soccer to bury the hatchet. Mm -hmm. And in business terms, Adidas, if you just look at the numbers, is by far the larger company. I think in 2009 they had 
39,000 employees compared to Puma's 9,000. But Puma says they're not hurting. They have a great reputation for getting the endorsements of world-famous athletes uh, like Usain Bolt was one of the one of the more recent ones. And that's a legacy that's just carried over from the old Dossler brothers' days. Mm-hmm. So very, very forward-thinking. And I did read somewhere that while Adidas maybe wasn't the first custom sneaker company, they were the first to, like, man- mass produce and sell them to Mm. the public because you make a custom sneaker designed for an athlete there was a time where it was literally a custom product designed for an individual now these custom products people want them on their feet even though they are not hussein bolt even though they are not michael jordan (laughs) you know makes them feel a little bit closer to their heroes yeah like reebok pumps you know remember those la lights oh yeah (laughs) yeezys it's an interesting pattern and it makes me think that we found a, a, a crazy piece of history that a lot of people don't know. If you are listening to this, gosh, I hope someone out here is. If you're listening to this and you're wearing Adidas and Pumas, Adidas or Pumas, I don't know how you'd wear, I guess, one on one foot, one on the other. That would look ridiculous, That's man. That's very forward fashion, I think. But if you're wearing those, be aware that you are treading on strange history with each step you take. I'm waxing poetic here just because it's such an interesting story. Yeah, and the image of treading when we're talking about shoes, that works quite nicely, if you ask yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, thanks, man. And uh, we hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Noel, again, you know, I don't want to blow up your spot but happy birthday man hey thanks pal we'll have a drink after work maybe yeah yeah let's see let's look into that casey are you down let's do it all right well casey has spoken and of course we want to thank you casey for helping us out as always thanks for saving the show we want to thank our research associate ease jeff cope also want to thank alex williams who composed our theme and um yeah we want to thank you for joining us for another episode of ridiculous history stay tuned for our next episode where we blow up the moon or try to Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'll see you then folks Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. 
Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.